Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. I'm Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to see each and every one of you. Welcome to those watching online. We are launching our new series called From Light into Darkness. This is our Easter series. As many of you know, we're in the season of Lent, where basically we are taking 40 days. Yes. What's that? Oh, I said it backwards. Okay, my wife just corrected me. I'm like, what? It's good to have your wife on the front row. Let's rewind. It's from darkness into into light. Thank you. I was like, my wife's like, you got it backwards. Thank you. So we are launching a new series, and we're so excited. Um, this series is preparing our hearts for the season of Lent as we look forward to Easter and the re- celebration of the resurrection. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, so go ahead and turn there. And if I mistake again, my wife's going to help me on the front row. <laughs> Just kidding. Love it. So as you turn there, uh, opening thought. Have you ever noticed the longer you live, the more expensive it gets? Like when I was a teenager, I thought buying a movie ticket was expensive. It was like seven fifty back in the day. I don't know how much it is now, but I thought that was really expensive. Then when I got my driver's license, you remember paying for car insurance as a 16 year old? It's really expensive because they factor in you're probably going to get in a wreck. So it's really high prices. We've got some teenagers in here know what I'm talking about. And then when you hit 18, you're like, how are we going to pay for college? Student loans, debt, what are we going to do? And then you decide, all right, now I'm out of college. I should probably either rent an apartment or buy a house. And if you rent, you have to pay first and last month's rent. You have to pay the electricity bill. You have to pay Internet. I mean, all these costs start coming in. And then when you start having kids... And you get the dot in the medical bill with the first baby. You're like, uh, insurance only covers 80 percent, 20 percent. And as you get older and the bills keep increasing. And for those of you who are 50 plus, you tell me that the doctor's bills get more expensive the older you get. Is that true? But would you trade any of it in your life for the blessings that you have? Right. You wouldn't trade any of it because the reality is everything is so much worse worth the sacrifice, the, the, the spouse, the children, the, the blessings that you receive, and just being able to, to live life. So today we're going to talk about the higher cost of this higher calling. Think about the high cost of what it means to follow Jesus. So we're going to read the most controversial passage, or at least the top five in the whole Bible, at least in the New Testament. This is one of those passages you skip over if you can. I was talking to another pastor this morning. I was like, uh, or another church member. I was like, have you ever heard anyone preach or t- taught on this? Or like, never. So this may be the first time you've heard it taught because this is a passage you just don't talk about. And we'll, we'll, just, we'll determine why. 
So today I want to make kind of an overview that Jesus is teaching the crowds. So you can understand his audience in Luke 14. He, sometimes he's talking to the 12 and then sometimes he's talking to the crowd. And these crowds had followed them because they've seen his miracles. Many of them have been to the all-you-can-eat buffet bar, right? The five loaves, two fish, thousands of people fed. Many have seen Jesus do miracles, so they want their aunt, their uncle healed. That they're, they're coming to Jesus to get something from him. So some have good motives and some have mixed motives. So what he's going to do is he's going to lay the high cost of discipleship. So salvation is completely free, but discipleship is very costly. So let's look at Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 25. And as we read this, I want to encourage all of you to say the whole service. Those online don't scroll, because if you only hear part of this message, you will misunderstand it. That's how that's how hard this passage is. You have to wait until the end. Okay. So nobody walk out. I'll call you down. Just like my wife called me down. Just kidding. <laughs> I'll say, hey, wait, just kidding. I won't. But if you have to go to the bathroom, no one's going to call. You. But this is one of those passages you just have to soak in. All right. With that being said, let's read one of the most controversial passages in the Bible. You ready? You're like, where is this going to go? All right. Verse 25. Now, great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate someone say hate. You know, I'm, I, my, my kids, we can't even say that word, can we, Lincoln? We can't even say the word hate. Jesus said, if you come to me and you don't hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So we should just dismiss church right here. Hate my wife, hate my kids, hate myself. Jesus, you've got to be kidding me. All right, let's continue. Now, you know why people skip this passage, okay? And verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he's laid the foundation and not able to finish it, all who see it began to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he's able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000 or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for conditions of peace. And verse 33, you may want to underline in your scripture. This is kind of the summary of why he's telling this. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill. But men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, as we talk about moving out of darkness and into light, and as we talk about how salvation is free, but discipleship is costly, as we prepare our hearts for Jesus dying on the cross on Good Friday and resurrecting on that first Easter Sunday. Help us to prepare our hearts that we want to leave nothing back, that we want to surrender all. So, Lord, as we launch into this new series, help us to be challenged, help us to be encouraged and help us to leave this place different than when we first came. So, Lord, bless your word as we talk about this difficult passage. Speak to your hearts And we pray that your Holy Spirit would make himself known today. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, welcome. Today I want to talk to you about four costly sacrifices of discipleship. And in this message, I want to encourage you to hang tight because it's going to be challenging. It's going to step on all of our toes. But hopefully you will walk away renewed, encouraged, and understand what it's like to fully follow Jesus. So the first cost of discipleship is this. I must love God more than my very own family. So in verse 25, he starts off, great multitudes went with him. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me. So he's laying the foundation of what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a disciple. And notice what he says, and does not hate. So it's like if I were in that audience and I heard Jesus say this, my initial reaction is probably like you. Jesus, to follow you, I've got to hate my mom. Sorry, mom. I've got to hate my dad. Sorry, dad. I've got to hate my wife. Sorry, honey. I've got to hate my kids. Sorry, kids. I've got to hate myself. Jesus, that's a lot of hatred going around. I mean, last time I, I read the scriptures, doesn't it say for God's love the world? Last time I read the scriptures, doesn't it say that God is love? Doesn't it say I'm supposed to love my wife, love my kids, even give my life for my wife as Christ gave his life for his church? So what is this business of hate? Jesus, why am I to hate the people that I love? Hard passage, isn't it? So what we got to understand here is Jesus is using a figure of speech. So I want to take you guys back to English class. How many of you remember English class, literature class? We're going to talk about different types of figures of speech. So first of all, we have a simile. Someone tell me what a simile is. Use like or as to compare sometimes unrelated things. So example, she sings like a swan. She's not a swan, but she's graceful like a swan. All right. What about metaphor? Metaphor is where you compare things that are often unrelated, but there's a commonality. Elvis once said, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. Are you really? Or are you just crying all the time, right? It's a metaphor. But then there's something called hyperbole. What is hyperbole? It's an exaggeration to emphasize a point, okay? So what Jesus is doing is using a hyperbole of comparison. You may want to write this down. This is a hyperbole of comparison. So here's the example he's giving. When it comes to your love for Jesus, I want you to compare that with your love for others. Okay. And there's an Old Testament story that helps us understand us and navigate it. And keep in mind, this is the Jewish mindset is different from the American mindset. So, but there's a parallel that you'll get. So you got to go back to the Old Testament. There's a guy named Jacob. Someone say, hello, Jacob. Jacob had some women issues, okay? Whatever the Bible describes, it doesn't always prescribe. So he had two women. I don't recommend that. And one of the ladies he liked a lot more than the other. Who did he like the most? He really loved Rachel. Rachel was his, like, sweet 16. I mean, that, she was like, wow, like, he fell for her before any other that it, it just took his breath away and he saw Rachel. But then Rachel had a sister named. Yes. And Leah was interesting because she was very kind, very compassionate, 
But yet Genesis 29:31 says this. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, other translations less literal says unloved, but the literal is hated. So here's the thing. Did Jacob really hate Leah? No, Jacob did not hate Leah, but Jacob loved Rachel so much more than Leah that from Leah's perspective, she was considered hated because which woman in here wants to be second pick from her man? Which woman in here wants to be second choice? Which woman wants to be considered not as attractive as the other, not as wanted as the other? Anybody? Any takers? Silence. So here's the idea. Jesus is setting this picture. If you don't love me more by comparison than anyone else, it's like hatred. And here's the reason why your love for Jesus should be so prioritized, so primary and so passionate that by comparison, people can look at that and be like, do you not love me anymore? No, I love you. But my love for Jesus is so much greater that it just it's it pales in comparison. Another way to phrase it is your love for Jesus should never be eclipsed by love for anything else. Whenever you love something or someone more than Jesus, it's called an idol. And that's one of the top ten, right? Don't have another idol. Any rivals to Jesus' love. So you may want to write down your listening guide. When, it, when, it, when he uses the word hatred, it means lesser love. Lesser love. Jesus wants you to love him so much There's no rivals to your love for him. The moment that your affection and devotion to something else is more than to Jesus, that's considered hatred towards Jesus. If you don't fully love the Lord, your God above anything else. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's another way to say it that's less controversial, right? If you love your parents or your kids or anyone else more than me, you're not worthy. So imagine if I told my lovely bride here that, hey, you know, this is like 14 years ago when we were getting engaged. Actually, 15 years ago, because we've been married 14 this summer. I got that right. OK. <laughs> and it's like it's like, hey, I love you, but there's enough love of me to go around. I still want to keep up with my last two girlfriends. Is that OK? I mean, there's enough love. I got enough love, baby, to go around multiple people. What do you think you should say? Survey says, eh. so why do we think that we can say, Jesus, I love you, but yet I'm going to put my kids above you. I love you, but my spouse is going to get all my affection. And Jesus, when it comes to priority priorities, I will occasionally serve you. I'll occasionally worship you when it's convenient. See, salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. So here's 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 what I want you guys to get. Over here, I have three cups of what? It's water. Okay. so this first cup, I'm preaching a little hard today, so I need to sip. It's good water. So this is the person that loves themselves primary and more than anyone else. This is the person that they're sitting on their, their couch and they're watching Sports and the wife comes. Hey, don't bother me. The kids come. Hey, I'm watching the news. And after about six hours of TV, you're like, all right, what did you want? And you're like, never mind. Have you ever met anybody that's just self-focused? Like their their attention so much on them. 
selfish. Anybody? Don't don't point the person next to you. And here's the point. If I'm only self-loving first, my capacity to love others is very limited, okay? That's, that's the person that's just not very, I mean, all of us have someone like that in, in, our, in our lives, right? All of us have that person. And it's like, well, why don't you pay me attention? Why don't you love? It's because their capacity is very limited, all right? So this person has grown from selfish to now their wife and their kids and friends, they come before themselves. You know, they're at least putting themselves second, right? I'm second, my wife, others, and their, their capacity for love has grown and it's good, but it's still very limited, right? It's still very limited. Over here, you have the follower of Jesus Christ. By the way, this is my workout bottle and it comes with a nice straw, so it's pretty cool. Okay, here's the follower of Jesus Christ. They, they, they've moved from being selfish. It's not about me. And they realize, you know, Jesus should probably come before other decisions and I need to make him a priority. But here's the thing about this person. They haven't fully surrendered. Salvation's free. They've been saved. But they haven't come to the point of complete surrender. The Romans 12, 1, where Paul tells the Roman Christians to present your body as a living sacrifice. Yeah, you're saved, but you're not surrendered. So this person has a lot more capacity than the selfish person or the person that puts their wife and kids first. But th- there's something a little lacking. I'll be right back. Excuse me a sec. What happens when the person surrenders everything to God? What happens when they lay themselves to the altar and they say, God, you're first? Guess what? They move from here to here. If I could get this up here for here. Okay. And, and here, here's the reality behind that. All of us have potential to increase our capacity. I mean, very few of us would find ourselves here. Some would find ourselves here. I think the majority of us would be like, you know, I'm following Jesus. I'm growing. But there's still I'm holding back. I still haven't surrendered. So when Jesus says to hate others, he's not saying hate. He's saying your love for me should be so big by comparison to anything else, when I compare the two, it's like, look at that. I mean, it's a comparison of night and day. So here's the, here's the analogy I want you guys to get before I wear myself out. If you have not fully surrendered to Jesus, you can't love others like you should. If you have not surrendered your full life to God, we're all going through stages of growth. But I want you to see that this five gallons a lot more than this half gallon. So the reason why Jesus says to love him first to make him the center of your universe is because when he's that way, I have more love to go around for my wife and kids. When he's that way, I have more love for even my enemies. So here's the thing. You can't be a good friend until Jesus is your best friend. If he's your best friend, you can be a better friend. You can't be a good husband unless Jesus is at the center of your world. You can't be the best wife Unless you've come to the point of saying, listen, I've counted the cost. Yes, I'm saved, but now I'm going from saved to surrendered. This is what Jesus is trying to get. When you love him most, when you love him more than anything else, you have greater capacity to love others. Amen. So that's the point he's trying to make. And aren't you glad we didn't skip that verse? Because a good thing becomes a bad thing if it gets in the way of a great thing. 
Like love for spouse is a good thing, right? Love for kids is a good thing. You know, taking care of yourself is a good thing, but a good thing becomes a bad thing if it gets in the way of the best thing. And Jesus is the best, and we've got to really focus on him. So here's some applications. It's on your listening guide. And online, I hope you haven't turned, tuned off yet because you've got to listen to this message. So why is salvation free, but discipleship costly? Because this seems to contradict the American gospel. Like most of us have heard you pray a prayer, you walk out, you're good for the rest of your life. Very few of us have heard, yes, you are saved by faith alone, no works. But coming to Jesus is a lifelong commitment, not just a one-time decision. It starts with a prayer. Salvation is free, not by works. But have we really considered that when we ask Jesus into our life and that we're going to follow him, we should actually mean that we're going to follow him, right? So I want to encourage you as we look towards Easter, as we look towards the cross, that we got to count the cost of discipleship. Salvation's free. You come to him, nothing but a willing heart. But at the same time, if you want to follow him, he lays some high standards of discipleship. So on the listening guide, just a few things. The greatest love should always produce the greatest sacrifice. Nobody is inspired when you pour out your heart and they don't reciprocate it. For you parents that you've bought your kids like cars or even houses and they showed little gratitude. How many of you want to do more for them, right? You're like, okay, if you don't appreciate it. So for us, we've received the greatest gift on planet Earth. Jesus Christ laying his life down for us. So if we don't reciprocate that, what is that? Jesus gave his life for us. The so only rational response is to give our life back to him. So look at those points. We're not going to go over all those, but those are just to take home and just to, to self-examine. Are you willing to pay the high cost of a higher calling? Number two, I must be willing to live for Jesus so much that I would be willing to die for Jesus. So when you look at verse 27, he says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciples. So the idea of cross, we think of it as a religious symbol we wear around our neck. And it does remind us of Jesus' sacrifice. But 2,000 years ago, people would see people actually killed on a cross. So for today's terminology, it'd be like the electric chair. How many of us would have a little electric chair hanging around our necks to remind us, right? We wouldn't do that. We like electric chair. But that's what that symbol means. It means sacrifice. It means crucifixion. So what Jesus is saying is, listen, if you want to be my disciple, and this is not a salvation message we're given, it's a discipleship. I'm talking to you who are already believers. It's like, are you willing to love me so much that you'd be willing to die for me? You haven't really lived until you're willing to die for Christ. True life is found in the essence of complete sacrifice, complete surrender. So he says, you've got to be willing to bear your cross, be willing to come after me. So are you willing to pay the high price of a higher calling? The third costly sacrifice of a discipleship is I must count the cost of discipleship before I decide to follow Jesus. So in verses 28 through 33, he gives us a several analogy. He gives us the analogy of a builder and a king and also of a disciple. He says the builder, before he builds this tower, he has to consider if he has enough funds to fund this building. And if he goes ahead but doesn't count the cost, all he has is a foundation laid. And what this is saying is if you're going to follow Jesus, 
He doesn't want you to follow like this, self-absorbed. He doesn't want you to follow like this, just completely God is kind of last, but others are first. Many of us are here and making progress. That's great. But he's leading us to this. And here's the thing. For those of you like this is tension. Discipleship is a process. Okay, it is a process. It is a journey. So we're not minimizing this. But what Jesus is doing is painting the full picture. Hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to surrender all for me. So the builder has to see, do I have enough to finish it? All right. The second example is the king. If you're going to go to war and you have 10,000 soldiers and your enemy has 20,000, you've got to say, do we have enough to conquer? Do we have enough? Are we willing to get into this battle? Do you realize that the Christian life is a battle? As soon as you sign up to be a completely sold out believer, guess what happens? Satan and the gates of hell come against you, right? Like so many of you said, man, I started serving in a serve team. The next thing I got sick, I got COVID, uh, all this stuff happened. I mean, some of you have that story. Like as soon as I signed up to serve, guess what? Satan like punched me in the teeth. I mean, if you can, and it's because it's a battle. So you got, you got to think, am I willing to pay the cost? Satan will come at you. If you are just sitting on your blessed assurance, just watching life go by, Satan has no reason to come after you. You're inactive. But as soon as you realize it is a battle. You are in war. Guess what? He's going to come. But you don't have to fear. Because the Bible says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So he says in verse 33, this is the summary of it. Look look back at verse 33. He says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. So here's the thing I want to ask you. Have you really surrendered all? Or are you holding back? It is a process. We're all in different states, steps of the journey. Some of us are right here, like this person. Some of us are right here. Some of us are right here. A few of us are right here. And I just want to encourage you to to count the costs. This Easter season, as we think about Easter, I want you to think about it differently. Not just what Jesus did, but does what he did inspire you in your life? Does what he did on the cross change the way you live your life today? Yes, the cross, it's completed, it's finished. Yes, you're saved freely. Nothing you bring to the table, not by works. Yes, but after you become a Christian, it's a journey of discipleship. Salvation's free. Discipleship's very costly. So here's the thing. How many of you are married in here? Raise your hand. I got several married. When you first got married, did you think about how much it costs? How many of you are planners and you did? How many of you are just like, she's pretty, I'm going to marry, I'm going to go for it, and it didn't count? All right, some of you, yes. So here's the thing. Many of us are that way. We, we, we all, salvation's free, I'm going to go for it. But then we realize the Christian life is really hard, right? It's impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. And this is where we've got to get a little gospel in us that the gospel is that the power of God lives in you. So what I'm talking about is impossible in your own strength. You can't do it. Look at the person next to you and say, you can't do it. The only way you can is through Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ. So on your natural, this message is hard. You guys want to leave and never come back, right? But if you just listen and say, I can't, I can't be that person. You're right. You can't. But if you surrender, God can through you. It's not that you can, it's Christ can, right? So it's like you come saying, Jesus, forgive me. I'm yours. And then there comes a point in your life where you hear the full message of discipleship. 
It's like the Romans 12, one message that I beseech you, therefore, brethren, they're already saved. But many of them in the church at Rome were not surrendered. They weren't sold out. They were saved. So it's not lordship salvation. It's not that you have to be this person if you're going to be saved. We're not saying that. But what we're saying is when you do sign up to follow Jesus, you're not just signed up to be just a Christian. You're signing up to be a disciple. And salvation, though it is free, that daily choice to follow Jesus is often very costly. So here's what I want to encourage you using the the marriage analogy that the longer you're married, the more you realize how much of sacrifice it was. But was it worth the sacrifice? Was it worth it? Hopefully. Amen. Right. Every one of you should say amen. And here's the thing. No one will ever regret fully surrendering their life to Jesus. The only people that live with regret as Christians is the person that looks back and said, I would I wish I would have fully surrendered. What would my life have been had I fully surrendered all of my life to Jesus? The missionary Jim Elliott said it like this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll say that again. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And the picture of that is your life is going to be soon gone. It's even if you live to be 100, it's a short life. But whatever you give up for Christ, it has eternal dividends, eternal investment. So Jimmy Elliott, Elliott said it's, it's not unwise to surrender everything to Jesus because you can't keep your life anyways. So are you willing to pay the high price of a higher calling? Number four. And this gets positive. So take a deep breath. You're like, there's a reason why I wear a suit. He's preaching it to us today, right? <laughs> So I, I mix it up sometimes. Sometimes I wear a suit, sometimes I don't. But this is one of the sermons I'm like I better wear a suit for this one because this is one of those messages. All right. Number four, I must stay salty, staying active, fresh and being influential in the kingdom of God. Look at verse 34. Salt is good. So to illustrate this, we're going to pass out some saltwater taffy. How many of you like saltwater taffy? All right. In the first service. I mentioned I would pass out like salt, but most people don't eat like plain salt. But two or three people raise their hand. They would eat plain salt. Anybody like salt sticks or whatever they're called? All right. A few of you. Okay. so but saltwater taffy is something that most people enjoy. So go ahead and eat this during this message. And even though this message was challenging, even though it was difficult, I want you to look at the blessed byproduct. If you do this, if you if you surrender your life and you become like this type of person, your capacities more increase to love. You know what will happen? You will become salty. Look at the person next to you and say you're salty. Salt is good. So go ahead and eat that. And as you eat, I want to talk about salt. Let's do a little study of salt. What, what's the purpose of salt in the Bible? Well, one thing, salt is a preservative. It preserves things. So the question I want to ask you, do other people feel better because you're in their life? Do you preserve people? Are you a type of person that keeps people from making bad decisions? Are you a preservative? You know, some of you don't realize this, but when you get to heaven, you will have saved many marriages from divorce. You will have saved people from committing suicide. You will have been that preservative where someone is about to take their life. You didn't know it, but you called them and said, I'm praying for you. And they, didn't, they never told you, but they were about to do something harmful. Salt is a preservative. Salt is also a healing agent. 
How many of you have ever swam in the ocean and had a cut and like two or three days later, it's like healed and you're like, wow, what's what's. And some of you have been in saltwater pools like the state of Texas has a lot of those. And it's like you see that salt is a healing agent. So if I'm this high capacity believer that I love God most of all, then guess what? I'm going to be a person that ushers in healing in people's lives. Salt does that. Is the saltwater taffy pretty good? Be careful you have fillings. You don't want to pull one out. Okay, just a warning. I forgot to say that before. It could happen, okay? Salt also promotes flavor. You as a believer should be flavorful. You should be the most flavorful people on planet Earth. And Jesus gives a warning, but if the salt loses its flavor, well, how can salt stop being salt? Well, in this day and time, other minerals and other impurities were mixed in with it. So even though while salt is always salt, You can't really use it if impure things are mixed in there. So the idea behind it is you could be this type of believer, but over time you start to crawl off the altar and then you, oh, you know what? It's all about me. I've been hurt. People have hurt me. I've been hurt at the church. And you go from being this believer to this to this. And now I just want to have a pity party. I just want to sip on my drink and have a pity party, except it's not water. Sometimes it's something else. You know, you're just like, I just woes me. And you get in this pity party and then you hear a message like this and you're like, all right, I've got to put myself aside. I've got to put others ahead. All right, Jesus, you're back. And Jesus, you're at the center and salt promotes flavor, but also salt promotes thirst. Are you thirsty today? After you eat the saltwater taffy, you're going to need some. And by the way, I got this five-gallon jug. I can, I can share a little bit, okay? I can share. So here's the thing. When you're in people's lives, you don't have to hit them over the head with a Bible. You don't have to be preacher or wear a suit. You don't have to do any of that. But just, just being the presence of Christ living in you, saying words of compassion and love, saying to people, I'm praying for you, and actually praying for them when you tell them, right? Some of us, we, sometimes we forget But like you become salty and as you're salty, people are like, man, I'm thirsty. I want what you got. So I just want you guys to think about salt. And it reminds me of this story. This young lady, she went with a group of girls to a coal mine and they were going in a coal mine and all these ladies showed up. But one showed up in a white dress. What's the problem with a white dress in a coal mine? And she didn't know she'd never been a coal mine before. So she was trying to convince the the operator that was given a tour of the coal mine. She's like, listen, I can wear this white dress in. I'll be okay." And he said, dearie, dearie, you can wear a white dress in the coal mine, but you're not going to come out wearing a white dress. Right. And here's the picture. A lot of us go into the world and we have the best intentions. But if Jesus is not like our greatest love, the influences of this world begin to rub off on us. And we begin to fill ourselves conforming to the world. We fill ourselves just acquiescing to the culture. And, and all of a sudden, we, we allow the news channels to create our morals and values. And all of a sudden, our friends influence us. And, and it's no longer Christ as Lord of all, but it's others. And it's experiences and it's people that I know. And this is just a call to realize that salvation is free, but discipleship is Martin Luther once said this. He said, a religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. What was Martin Luther saying? Salvation's free, but guess what? If you really follow Jesus as a disciple, 
Even though you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, no works. But being a disciple that follows Jesus daily, it's going to cost you something. You're going to suffer. And guess what? True faith is invaluable. It's going to be worth something. But if it doesn't cost you anything, you don't suffer, then you've got to check up and say, do I really have genuine, authentic faith? So to summarize this into one sentence, let's throw the big idea up on the screen. What have we been talking about? Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. So first of all, let's talk about your action step, salvation. There may be someone here today that you've never accepted what Jesus did for you. And just to clarify, it's not by works. You don't have to be this believer overnight. You know, it, it takes it, discipleship's a process. What Jesus is doing here is setting up the, the standard. My standard is to love me with all you got, all your heart, soul, strength and mind. And, you know, we're in progress. So here's the thing. If you've never come to faith, this may scare you, but you at least have to count on the cost. Yes, it's going to involve following Jesus. Yes, it's going to be hard, but isn't it worth it? It's there's no sacrifice that you could give that would be even comparable to what Jesus did on the cross. So if you've never received what Jesus did. And it's not a head knowledge. James says even the demons believe in Jesus. They believe he died, rose again. Head knowledge doesn't save you. It's receiving what Jesus did and asking for his forgiveness. And remember, I said the Jewish mindset's different than our mindset. We think, all right, I prayed a prayer. I'm done. Yes, you prayed a prayer. You're forgiven. But this is the beginning of a journey of discipleship. Imagine if I told my lovely bride I do, and then the rest of my life I didn't do anymore. Like I was just a loser husband, right? Hey, I, I said I do, but I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to spend time with you. I'm not going to bring you flowers. I'm not going on dates. What kind of husband would I be? And how many churches teach? Walk an aisle, pray a prayer, but that's it. The Great Commission says to make converts, right? No, it says make disciples. But how many of us are making converts? You prayed a prayer, you walked an aisle, but that's it. The Hebrew mindset is, yes, you're saved by faith. We bring nothing to the cross, but because you come to the cross, your life has changed and it's a journey. Salvation's free. Discipleship's a process. All right. Second is surrender. So maybe I'm this type of believer and it's good. You know, I'm, I'm coming to church a lot. I'm, maybe I'm giving my tithes and offerings. Maybe I'm serving. But I just haven't fully surrendered. And this is a call that... You're making steps, but are you a Romans 12 Christian? Yes, you're saved, but are you surrendered? And uh, our brother Scott Whitley brings us a lot of good stats occasionally in church. But one, one thing he's reminded me of is the 20-80 principle that, you know, 20% do 80% of everything. So if that stat is true for this church, how many of us have completely surrendered where it shows in our life? Just a question. I can't answer it for you. But are, are we surrendered? And finally, service. If I am saved, if I am surrendered, the byproduct will be what? I'm going to serve Jesus, right? If he's the center of my life, you know, when other things get in the way because he's priority, priority I'm going to revolve my schedule around him, not around my wants, not around my pleasures, not around my hobbies. If Christ is at the center of it all, he is at the center of it all. And I rearrange my life to fit him at the center Jesus is Lord. Amen. We say he's Lord. He is. That means he's he tells me what to do. So I encourage you to take this message and pray about it. Wrestle with it. 
because salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. Let's pray.